0: As we continue on in Ephesians 5 this morning, um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, Last week we looked at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and this week we're going to look ahead at 3 through 6. Um, In your Bibles it may be uh, separated in such that um, verse 6 may be uh, broken up and with another, the other section, but it, it fits well here. Um, as a reminder, those delineations are man made, they are not uh, God ordained. So, those things are uh, they aren't always, uh, we don't always agree with those things, and that's okay. Uh, but today, I'll read for us from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians 5, 3 through 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So why is Paul going here in his... In his discussion with the Ephesians, why is he bringing up this topic of sexual immorality? As we've discussed in previous weeks, he brings it up because this is an issue. This is an issue in Ephesus. Uh, This is an issue everywhere Paul has gone. This isn't the first time that Paul addresses this issue, obviously, This is something that he needs to address. Last week we talked a little bit about how some of the things that Paul was teaching them, maybe it was the first time they had ever heard them in the culture that they uh, had lived in before knowing Christ. But this is obviously a problem. It always has been. Sexual sin has plagued humanity pretty much from the beginning. Um, one of the verses that I often think about uh, when thinking about sexual immorality and temptation is 1 Corinthians 6:18. 1 Corinthians 6:18 it gives us a um, a basis on how to deal with this sin in a specifically in a different way flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but sexual but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body paul doesn't say to stand and fight the sin he says to flee from the sin flee and we talked last week about a bear the same same thing i wouldn't stand and fight a bear i would attempt to flee in the same way this this is a destructive sin and there is a a story of, uh, of, a, of a lady who is baking fresh cookies. She makes fresh cookies and she puts them in a jar and she puts the lid on the jar and then she admonishes her young son not to touch the cookies until after supper. So she goes in the next room to do some cleaning and shortly she hears the rustling of the lid of the cookie jar. So she says, son... What are you doing? And she sticks her head around the corner and she sees he has his hand inside the cookie jar and he says, Mom, my hand is resisting temptation. That is not the way we are to resist this type of temptation. We are not to see how close to it we can get before we're able to pull away. We are to flee from sexual temptation. The Bible is replete with examples of failure in this area. Tragically, these things never work out well for the people involved. God uses these things, but there are so many examples. Um, The first thing that I thought of was was Judah and Tamar. Um, I'm not going to go in depth in these things, because some of them are rather lengthy, but if you want to go and read of Judah and Tamar, you can look in Genesis 38, 12 through 23. Um, but this is a, an, an instance where Judah is a, a, he commits a sexual sin that comes back to haunt him. And it all, um, and it, and it, it all balloons into a, a really bad situation. But then obviously you, you can look at David and Bathsheba. You can go to 2 Samuel 11 and read that. Um, This was a, a turning point in David's kingship. He could have lost everything. And not only did David suffer, not only did his family suffer, but all of Israel suffered because of this sin. If you want to go back to Genesis, you can read of Lot and his daughters. Uh, how after he, they fled, um, his daughters got him drunk and took advantage of him. And that's in Genesis nineteen thirty through 38. But it's, it's, it's very easy to find places in the Bible where this is prevalent. But it's also very easy if you go on CNN.com, you don't have to scroll very far to see some sort of scandal or crime of a sexual nature. You don't have to to look very far in any of the news cycles to see uh, stories of pastors or presidents or any type of authority person or any person out of authority. It's in droves to see people falling to this idol of sex. The next part of the the first verse, it, it begins with, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named against you. We know that to covet something is to desire something that doesn't belong to you. In this particular context, this is a this is a desire for someone's body for immoral purposes. This is a, a specific thing. So Paul isn't isn't changing gears because on the first reading you say, okay, so he mentions sexual immorality and then he he changes to something else no this whole section deals with this problem our nature is inherently skilled at twisting the beautiful things of god the sex is supposed to be a a good thing it was intended to bring glory to god the ephesians were profaning the temples of their body by by twisting this glorious gift of God. But guess what? The Americans are doing the same thing. The Kentuckians are doing the same thing. The the Maysvilleites, or whatever we would be, are doing the same thing. And we have to be very careful to avoid immersing ourselves in this over-sexualized culture. We We have to be careful what we watch, we have to be careful what we read, we have to be careful what we listen to, and we have to be very careful with what we discuss with one another. I'm sure probably for many of you licentious or lewd conversation is pretty easy to find in your workplace. It's not difficult to to find these kind of conversations, they're prevalent. But let's look at uh, verse 4. It says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So again, in reading this, initially, at least my first thoughts were, you know, I have a problem. I make a lot of stupid jokes. You guys have have been victim of a lot of that. Um, I say a lot of dumb things that I think are funny. Mostly I do it to entertain myself. That's kind of always been my way. But what this, this passage isn't saying that, well, you, you have to be serious to the point that we don't enjoy life and don't enjoy one another's company. This is, again, relating to being lewd and crude and joking about these things that, that God designed for good and, and making a joke of them. It is true that um, I probably need to do less memeing and joking and and more spending time being conscious of the fact that there are people all around me who are content to live their lives, die, and go to hell because they don't know any better. I need to be more serious about that. I need to be more uh, aware of that. Sometimes I'll use joking as a way to... Uh, to lighten a a dark or serious situation to make life a little easier. But what we're talking specifically about here is this this crude talk. And my workplace is rife with it. Um, And I have to really try to separate myself from it. Um, We approve of this kind of thing by listening to it and laughing at it and by spreading such things. I have a a this is kind of different, but I have a a friend, a Mexican friend who likes to tell me racially insensitive Mexican jokes. He thinks it's great to tell me these jokes, and I don't know why. It's difficult to get out of those situations. I shouldn't I shouldn't listen to these things. And in the same way, people where I work talk about things that that this this has no place in a workplace and it certainly has no place among believers this this kind of talk isn't acceptable it should be out of place for the christian um as peter quotes from leviticus and first peter 116 first peter 116 these things aren't acceptable because you shall be holy for i am holy God calls us to holiness. Holiness is to be set apart, to be distinct. We are to be distinct from the world, not because we're better than anybody else, but because God's way is better than all ways and because he calls us to walk in these things. We've talked week after week about walking in a manner worthy of, of the call that God puts on our lives. And a part of that is we really have to be careful with what we say. We have to be careful with what we listen to. We have to be careful with what we approve of. So instead of partaking in this rotten fruit, it says, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. So instead of, of, of making and participating in these jokes, we need to be thankful. And I thought about this, that this week. I was like, what's the, the relationship? Well, a lot of times we make these jokes or we participate in these jokes out of bitterness, out of, out of a desire for something that we don't have. We, we covet something that we don't have and we make jokes about those things and there is so much in life that we have to be thankful for. There is so much in life that we take for granted, and I don't just mean material things which are a blessing. We have a dry place to be today. We have a warm place to be today. We're thankful for that. We we can sit down and listen. We have Bibles. We have pens. We have electronic devices that we can reference and record, and and, and all these different things are a blessing, but we take everything for granted. I take my wife for granted all the time. She's an incredible gift of God. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes some of this water cooler talk at work before I realize just how blessed I am. I'll give you an example. My kids are sick to death of hearing brush your teeth, floss your teeth, put on your retainer, Put on your rubber bands. You need to clean around your gum line. There's some gunk on number seven. My kids are sick to death of hearing that. Guarantee you. I can feel it. Whenever it's bedtime. Brush, floss, retain. Put your bands on. But my children have never had to pull the remaining three or four teeth out of a 17-year-old girl's head. Completely dentalist Because she didn't take care of her teeth. 17 years old, junior in high school, no teeth. They've never had to do that. So they don't appreciate what it is. They don't appreciate that my wife has some knowledge that they don't have. And let's be honest, if somebody wasn't continually telling them to brush and floss every day, they wouldn't do it. Because grown-ups don't do it. Because the hygienist will say, Wow. Have you? Been, how's your flossing been? And they say, "Well, you know, you were there last time it happened, so, you know." I, so we we don't appreciate those things, but I appreciate that. That is my wife loving my children. You're going to need your teeth. Just going to put that out there. If you don't know, later in life you're going to want to eat and chew. So I see those things, and I and I see that as. As love I see that as discipline and I take those things for granted I take so many things for granted we take and resent God We take for granted and resent God's discipline in our lives instead of being thankful for it we take for granted that God doesn't want us to get into and go down paths that will destroy us and so he discourages that by having someone read the scripture and say don't do these things we take for granted that God puts other roadblocks in our path. Why doesn't God give me more money? Why don't I have more money than I have? Why don't I get paid more? Why don't I have piles of money? Because if you did, you would destroy yourself. This is a reality that long ago I would say, God, why why are, why don't I have money? Why why is money a problem? If I if in Spurgeon says if you were to if God were to double what you have right now, you would still not be content if you're not content with what you already have. And for me, it it took me realizing, you know, God is preventing me from destroying myself. So we resent God's discipline. Instead of being thankful, I haven't had a ticket or an accident in decades. Now, I would like to think it's because I'm an excellent driver, but the reality is it's because of the mercy of God. Every day, we see people who like the white line and the yellow line with equal fervor. They move from one to the next and back again. And it, it, is, it is a miracle. Every day, I just I thank God that there isn't an accident because people don't pay attention. People don't pay attention. And... When enough people aren't paying attention at the same time is when things really bad happen. But I—that's not me. That's not me that avoids those things. It is the the grace of God. I'm thankful that I have a car that's difficult to speed in. It's a very small car with a very small engine. I'm grateful for that. But we re, we resent God's discipline. It's mercy from God, and I should be thankful for it. I I should be thankful for God when I can resist indulging in the pleasures of of the world. And I should be thankful that God prevents me from those things because there is a treasure of glorious things that far exceeds anything the world can offer, that those things are stored up for me. And it's, we still Chase after these things on earth that seem pleasurable to us, that delight our eyes, that tantalize our, our mind and, and and stimulate our senses. when those things they, are the, they lead to destruction. So this this subject of crude talk in verse four and and joking is it's related to to sexual immorality. Why is Paul driving this hard home? Like why is he with the big hammer bringing this in and he's repeating things and he is pointing out different things? Well, if we look at verse 5, we get some idea. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no Inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. There won't be a place in heaven for any of these types of things. No sexual immorality, no crude joking, no lustful desires, and praise God for that. We will finally be rid of those things. It's a joy to me to think that I can get up. In the morning, you know, to have a, a thing where I can I can move throughout my day and not have to be careful about where I'm going. I have a, a friend who asked me, uh, we're going to Florida in a couple weeks. He says, are you going to the beach? I said, I hate the beach. Nobody puts any clothes on to beach. So I don't go to no beach. I can't stand it. Even go to Walmart. So to have... A time where I can walk through my existence and not be bombarded with temptation? That sounds glorious to me. But we can, we can finally be, be rid of those things in heaven. And we have to realize as we're here that a man can't serve two masters. You can't be given over to idolatry and be in Christ. And our modern culture believes that these are separate things, that I have my life and the things that I enjoy and that I indulge in, and that's one thing. And then on Sunday I can go to church and I can get a little bit of Jesus and kind of, you know, cover some of that other stuff up and and, and, and just kind of go on with my life, and that's okay. That's what the culture believes, our our. Christian culture in this country, I, I see it all the time. Where we don't have a, a a fear of God, we don't have a realization that what we do, that our sin, that it matters, that it matters to God, and it is significant to us. So what Paul says, if you know people who have these impurities, they have no no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So does that mean if you struggle with temptation to sin, or if you even struggle with falling into sin, does that mean you're disqualified from heaven? That's an important question. Because of our fallen nature and the fallenness of the world, we will be tempted with sin as long as we're in this world. That's a real bummer. Let's, let, let's, look at, um, let's look in James chapter 1, and I'll read for us James chapter 1, uh, 12 through 16. James chapter 1, 12 through 16. This is God's desire for us. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has and when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do you see this progression? Do you see that that first is the desire to do something bad? Anyone in here ever have a desire to do something bad? Yes. Yes. If, If you say no to that, then your desire is to lie. That is your desire because it's not true every every day throughout the day we battle these desires but desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin so this is bad to have to have wicked desires is a part of our our flesh it's a part of the of our, our broken nature To allow that to develop into sin is bad. These things should not be named among saints as is proper. But then to let it be fully grown, that brings forth death. Christian, if you have sin in your life, if you have a a desire, and then if you let that develop into sin, you need to repent. You need to turn away need to put that aside and flee. You will deal with temptation every day. But what is your habit? What is your practice when temptation comes? When you're tempted, do you turn to Christ? Who was, as Hebrews 4.15 says, in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus faced the same temptations, more so because it says, in every respect, yet did not sin. When I can't get the headlight assembly out of my car to do something as simple as changing a light bulb, I call my brother. My brother has been a garage mechanic for more than 30 years. He's changed thousands of headlights, seen hundreds of different makes and models of cars. He knows some things, so I call him. So when I'm tempted to sin, I should turn to Christ because he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. I should turn to Christ for strength. I should turn to Christ for forgiveness. Let's look at, uh, real quickly, I'll read uh, 1 John 2. 1 John 2. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Does God understand that we live under temptation of sin? Obviously he does. Does God understand that his children are going to fall into sin? Obviously he does. We look at the nation of Israel sometimes and say, man, what a bunch of knuckleheads. But the reality is we fare no better in our own lives we make the same mistakes and it's worse for us because we read about their mistakes and then we repeat them so it doesn't say um, if all the off chance that maybe one of you happens to one day commit a sin it says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate we have a." An advocate, but not just any advocate. This isn't the, the court appointed pro bono heavenly defender. This is the advocate. This is our advocate. This is the Christ who is uniquely positioned to keep us from falling into sin. Not only to keep us from falling into sin, but to save us, to rescue us when we do. If we, if we keep reading on First 1 John 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the satisfaction of God's wrath that justly comes against our sin. Our sin is an affront to a holy God. Jesus is the propitiation. Paul isn't saying if you fall into sin, oops, you're out. That's not what he's saying. But he, he's saying, as he has said in it says in several of his letters, examine yourselves to know that you're in the faith. Examine yourself. If your life is characterized by idolatrous behavior, repent. If you have a, a, a mindset that that continues to lead you back to sin repent turn away from these things this is Paul saying check check yourselves to see that you're in the faith John continues on and he says the same thing in in verse 3 and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments whoever says I know him But does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Well, that sounds really familiar. Because Paul is calling the Ephesians to... Watch how you're walking. Watch how you're living your life. Avoid these things. Do these things. Flee from this. Run to this. Are you walking the way you ought to walk? Do you walk in a manner worthy of the call that God has called you to? That's Paul's question for the Ephesians. That's my question for all of us. For the Christian who is hearing this that is mired in sin, there is hope. Stop trying to dig your way out of your sin. Cry out to Jesus for repose and for rescue. Fall on the mercy of Christ. I hear the saying all the time, God will not put anything on you that you can't handle. And when I hear that, I bristle. Of course, God will put things on you you can't handle. You can't handle anything. You're incapable of handling any temptation. He won't put anything on you that you can't handle with Christ. What we need to understand is that our temptations should drive us to Christ, not to sin. We really don't have a lot of control over the things that that our, our sinful nature naturally gravitates toward. All we can do is try to identify those things and put them aside. I don't drink. I never have. There's alcoholism in my family, and I'm scared to death of it. I'll be honest. I'm afraid I'll like it. So I I flee from that because it could be a problem for me. There are people who can drink socially and, and drink with meals and all those things... And has no problem and that's fine. but I'm not going there. I can't I can't afford to. I will I'm afraid I will lose control, right? We ought to be thinking the same thing about about our our, our sexual behavior, our sexual mindset. Do we allow ourselves to go somewhere that we shouldn't? And I realize if you have any connection to the internet at all, it's nigh impossible to inv- to avoid this type of temptation. I mentioned CNN the other day. Can't even go on CNN anymore. I mean, things, the, the pictures and things. Fox News is probably worse. The news sites, commercials, anything. Try to, to watch a video on how to change a timing belt on a car. You're inundated with ads and things that that it, it's crazy. It's so deep. It's so pervasive in our culture. We have to be on guard. We have to move away from those things. We have to build walls. As a youth pastor, young people would always ask us, so, like, where's the line? What, what can we do, and what should we not do? And I say, well, don't do anything that you wouldn't do if Jesus were sitting next to you. But you're thinking about it all wrong. You shouldn't be thinking how much fun can I have, sinful fun, before that's too much. What you should be thinking is how can I, in my relationship, glorify God? Is the things that you're that you're wanting to do does that glorify God in some way? Don't do things alone. Take someone with you that would be embarrassed. That you, you would be embarrassed to do the things that you desire to do. But build yourself a fence and then go beyond that and build another one. So, if something breaks through that outer fence, you know it's time to run, it's time to call for help. But we have to guard our hearts and our minds because there are many things out there that will lead us into temptation, and the lost world desires to see you stumble. When a pastor falls into sin and their ministry is ruined, the world says, see, I told you, there's bad or worse than we are. There's no difference. When we see people who maybe we look up to as as paragons of faithfulness, and then we come to discover that that their whole life was characterized by a, a horrendous sexual sin, the world says, told you. I told you. So we ought not walk that way, and we ought to keep guard about who we allow to speak to us, speak into us. Verse six says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these, the wrath of God comes on the sexually, uh, the sons of disobedience. Sorry, I mixed two pages together. On the sons of disobedience. So there are people who will gladly give you advice. We have a a group chat in my work that's supposed to be for work. There's a section that a lot of time is is not work stuff. And frequently there are a couple people that get on and, and rail on how marriage is a sham. How it has no value. How it does nothing but cost money and ruin your life. And... They are trying to pull others into their misery. And it's, it, a lot of people are nodding their heads when they read these things. And the reason is because we don't have a clear understanding of how this is supposed to go. We don't have a, a clear under- picture in our lives of the way that God designed things to go. We, we talked, I think we talked last week about how we were designed to worship. If we aren't worshiping God in Christ, we will very easily find something to worship. It's not hard. Idolatry, I think it's Calvin that says our hearts are, are idol factories. We can make an idol of anything. Idolatry will be on full display tonight. And, you know, if you want to flee from sexual temptation, one way to avoid that is. Is don't watch the halftime show. I know, I know I've, I've read who uh, is, is doing that, and I think, well, th- this perfectly characterizes their 30-year musical career, this over-sexualization. So Paul is concerned. Paul is offering to the Ephesians, this is how you ought to walk. These are the things that you ought to flee fr- from, and this is the... This is the solution. If you find yourself in these things, turn to Christ. Turn to the elders in your church. Turn to brothers and sisters. I I talked about Paul, Timothy, and Barnabas, how you should have those in your life. Those are people who help you to prevent you from falling into these types of sins. Um, there is a, a specific call in Colossians 2, I think it's 16 through 19, to watch out for false teachers. But this, this call in verse 6 is a, is a more general call that you really have to watch on all sides and watch who uh, you, you let in to convince you. There is no punishment of sin. That's what the world would say. Why does the world say there's no punishment of sin? because they don't want it to be true. If there's punishment for sin, then we're in trouble. And the reality is, there is punishment for sin. And if, we, if we're walking in sin, then we are in trouble. My admonition today, for those of you who are in Christ, if you are struggling with this type of sin, find someone, have them help you, have them be accountable to that person. But primarily, first and foremost, go to God. God is not surprised by the things that you desire that are sinful. God is; He will not be shocked to find out that you like alcohol to an extent or that you have sexual desires. God is not immune to any of that. It's not that God said, All right, this is my spirit. You're my child. You're in my kingdom. Oh, I didn't know about that. In fact, the reason that Christ died is because of those things. So that they can be put to death. So that they have no victory over us. And. Understand, this type of sin, it is enslavement. You are a slave to it. So my admonition for the Christian, flee, flee. Run to the cross, run to Christ, confess your sin, repent of your sin, ask for the strength to continue and to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And if you are not in Christ today and you're here, this reality is there is a a recompense. There is coming a day when God will judge those who live an unrighteous life. There is a day when the bill will come due. When the sin that you have committed in your life, that God will come to... uh, Collect payment for that. And if you aren't covered by the blood of Christ, if when God looks on you and he doesn't see his son, if he looks on you and he sees your sin, you will be punished forever. For that. Today is the day of salvation. These are serious things. Turn away from those things. It's destruction. It's it's poison. It's drinking poison. And I think again, last week we talked about antifreeze. That's why that's why animals would drink antifreeze, because it's sweet and it kills them. At least when I was a kid. I think they've they've done something different now. But but it's the same way. This sin, if you drink of it, it will rot you from the inside out. So whether you're in Christ or whether you're outside of Christ, the same, I give the same command. Turn from your sin. Believe in Jesus. Walk in repentance. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are born into rebellion. Our nature is against you, Father. We understand that from the moment we're born. And Father, we understand also that uh, our lives running their normal course would be lives uh, lives of, uh, of sin. It would be lives of building our own kingdom and continued and escalating rebellion. And Father, from your word we know that Christ came into the world so that we might be reconciled to you. Father, I pray we wouldn't miss the importance of salvation in Christ, that we wouldn't miss how grand and how wonderful a thing it is that we have the opportunity to escape utter damnation but father also what a joy it is that you would come to us in our sin and you would rescue us that you would save us from the very things that are destroying us and my prayer is that uh, our desire would be for your things and that our desire would be to put aside the worldly things that your kingdom would be exalted and our kingdoms would turn to ash. Father, as we depart from this place this morning, I ask that you could give us strength to stand against temptation, give us the strength to um, uh, confess, to repent, and to walk in a different direction. Father, my desire is that Redeeming Grace Fellowship would be a a community that walks in a manner worthy to our call, not so we could be glorified, so that you may be glorified, and so that your name receives the glory that it's due. Father, help us. Walk with us. Let us see the the wrong way within us and put it aside. And Father, as, uh, as we depart from this place today, I pray that uh, this would be our desire every day, every moment going forward. That we would put to death the deeds of sin in our flesh. And that your name would be exalted. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.